Hi, everybody. I'm George, and this is the best little horror house in Philly, the show where we talk about the best horror movie ever made, according to our guest, at least. And today's guest is our first back for the new year. Definitely not still early December while we're recording this. Uh, a writer for the very funny show on Netflix, Inside Job. Please welcome Chase Mitchell. Hey, dude. Hey, man. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's good to be here. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your history with horror? Oh, man. I mean, gosh, where to start? Yeah, I just, I've always just, I don't know what it is about it, but I've just always been uh, a huge, huge horror fan. I mean, I like, I can say that what one of my like earliest, like formative memories was seeing Scream in theaters <laughs> and not really being definitely too young to have been in the theater. I, I shouldn't have <laughs> to go see it at all, but also like, too young to kind of get the satire of it at the time. And so just was like very scared by it, uh, really took it like on the level as like a straight ahead horror movie and was just very sad for Drew Barrymore's parents. Sure. Uh, and, you know, yeah, but, but it's, uh, but that, that kind of, that, I think Scream kind of got the ball rolling and everything since then has just been, um, yeah, I'm just a, just a huge, huge fan. Hell Yeah. Uh, is there a subgenre that tends to jump out at you that uh, you tend to give the benefit of the doubt more often than not? It's funny. The the fact that Scream was like, the fact that I saw it before I saw other other like on the level horror movies is, is kind of funny because it, it it's like such a meta right. film. And then like, and, and but but those have kind of continued to speak to me since then. Like I love Cabin in the Woods. I think mm-hmm. uh, that, that's one of my favorites as well. I love that like, I love that you can watch Cabin in the Woods and then you can watch other, you can go and watch Friday the 13th and you're like, okay, well, this is a <laughs> Cabin in the Woods movie. It's, uh, this is how they are sacrificing these people in this order. And yeah. Yeah, definitely really cool. I love that kind of commentary stuff. It's so interesting how it kind of creates this feedback loop of like reflexive movies that, you know, start commenting on the sort of hallmarks of a genre and then the on the level movies have to start breaking those tropes to, to in order to stand out on their own as well. And and then those become right for parody too. I guess what I'm kind of saying is that um, I like, like a horror comedy, like a, a, a well-executed horror comedy. Um, obviously very like big fan of like Shaun of the dead and stuff like that. So I, I like when a movie can successfully uh, like parody a genre and also be an example of that genre at the same time. Um, which I think Shaun of the Dead does as well. Yeah. Uh, and I think Cabin of the Woods uh, does as well. Like just, yeah, I, 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 I really like when something can make fun of something, but then also, I, I don't know. I, I think kind of like coming up through like New York stand-up comedy and stuff like that. I think that to make fun of something, because I've seen stand-ups that make fun of stand-up, it's a very like kind of like New York alt comedy scene thing to do. <laughs> but I, th- I think you kind of have to be able to do the thing in the genre to make fun of it. Yeah, I think that all of those are are good examples of making fun of a genre while also being a very good example of that genre at the same time. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think that today's movie is maybe not making fun of as much as some of those other movies are, but definitely still executes as an homage, but still is definitely its own excellent entry into sort of the uh, style of, of slasher that our main character becomes. And the movie we're talking about today is The Guest, starring Dan Stevens as the titular guest. (laughs) Released in 2014, this is directed by Adam Wingard and written by Simon Barrett, uh, a duo who'd worked together on A Horrible Way to Die, as well as the similarly excellent You're Next in 2011 up to this point. Yeah, love You're Next as well. I have always been a, I, I think I've even like tagged them on Twitter saying this, but I think that like David from The Guest and the woman from your next should be in a movie together where they're against each other. I, I, think <laughs> be, I think it needs to be a sequel where we pit those two against each other. I think it's the, it's, it's inevitable. Yeah. Freddie versus know. Jason for a new age. Yeah. Um, Simon in particular seems like a very interesting guy to me. And apparently at one point he was a private detective, which as you can imagine, leads to a lot of uh, compartmentalization and Simon said that he became fascinated with people who've got this whole like internal weirdness going on and had already been a fan of movies where like a stranger comes to town and shakes up the established dynamic, sort of like Cape Fear and other movies like that. And there's an interesting interview with him where he talks a little bit about the origin of this movie. For your next, they'd been interested in revitalizing the home invasion subgenre because they liked it in theory 
But for the most part, felt like the execution was lacking a lot, especially with more modern ones, because they liked sort of that reflexive commentary stuff. You know, they specifically talked about funny games in terms of home invasions and sort of saying that since funny games, there hadn't really been something that turned a mirror back on home invasions in an interesting way. And so they wanted to do that for your next and I think succeeded and then do sort of the uh, robotic killer movie for for this one. And I think similarly managed to subvert a lot of the expectations that you might have for something like this. For example, Michael Myers is, of course, very charisma-less. He's the shape. He's just a blank mask. And you compare that to David, who is super charming, incredibly handsome. You know, he's pure face. It's it's how he makes his way in. Yeah, I've always uh, this one is such a fun one that I've like introduced uh, several people to over the years. And it, it's always a joy to a couple of years ago. I brought a, a date to see this uh, at, at the Alamo Draft House here in downtown L.A. And it is just such a joy to like introduce someone to this movie. And the way that I always describe it, like the very like quick way in is I'm like, it, it's if Michael Myers was John Wick. And that's, <laughs> that's kind of like, that's kind of the way in because like, it really is like, you just watch that switch flip in him because he does, he comes in and he's very charismatic. There's no fat on this movie also, by the way, like it, it is every scene is in service of the plot. And um, this guy like enters the, these this family's lives and just like turns the, it on its head like immediately. And you, like you're saying, like he's he's just so charismatic and yeah, just like uh, handsome and funny and goes to a party in one of his first scenes. And, and like, yeah, just like when there is a specific scene when he is getting his when he's acquiring his weapons where you see the switch flip and it is so kind of scary on like a human level to see it happen and when it does it's like but it, he's so good at it too um yeah when you see it happen it, it's just like oh my god it, this guy is not yeah there's no going in but, but when you see it happen you're like wow this guy is not who i thought he was and he is not going to be that guy anymore yeah um, you see you know, it, you, you've seen hints of it to this point, like when he sits down on the bed and just kind of like stares off into the middle distance. Yeah. <laughs> but this just feels like even even with that, you're like, oh, but look at how nice and helpful he's being. Like, surely right. he wouldn't actually do anything bad. That's not the case. Music cues in this, too. There's, a, there's something that they do that uh, Barrett and Wingard do with like, uh, I don't even know what you would call it. It's kind of like a music sting, but it's... Um, it's like a like a almost like a guitar note or something that gets kind of bent. Hmm. They do it. They do it several times throughout the course of the movie, and it's always like kind of un, unannounced when it happens. And it it's it's just very good at like putting you off just a little bit, so you know like something very troubling is <laughs> it works. Something very troubling yeah. is happening. Yeah, definitely. So, like I said, Wingard had been vibing with robotic killer movies like Halloween and Terminator as well was one that they pointed out. And Simon was 60 pages deep in a depressing version of this movie where the equivalent of Caleb and David hated each other and David killed him and then went to his house to kill his family as even more revenge. And he was like, I don't even want to see this movie at this point. That's so bleak. <laughs> yeah, gosh, I didn't know that. That's it. It's hard to imagine any. I mean, I know that you know every movie goes through uh, drafts and rewrites and stuff like that. But it's it's hard to. It's just kind of hard to picture that this just didn't hit the page like in the exact version that we see. Yeah, it's just so perfect as it is. And yeah, I, like I, you know, I'm such a big fan of these guys, and and also a huge huge fan of your next, as I was saying earlier, and and like it really does feel like the next logical step after your next. And yeah, it's like, um, you know, I was saying to you uh, before when we were kind of planning this episode, like I think it's maybe kind of debatable whether it's a horror movie or not, because it, it is very much an action movie as well. Mm -hmm. But I think I would call it like action horror, which I think is, is a pretty rare subgenre. but there it, it's pretty unquestionably undeniably horror. Like once you see David become David, yeah. Yeah. And it also like takes place at Halloween. So it's, it's, it's an extremely effective and good Halloween movie. I oh think. yeah. 
Yeah, <laughs> definitely. I think there's also some of the like paranoia thriller elements that get blended in feel horror ish to me. When you brought this up as a as an option, I was immediately on board. So I don't want to hear any complaints out there uh, about if this is a horror movie or not. But they said uh, they're going to blend this Terminator fa- fascination that they had with this movie that they had been right or that uh, Simon had been writing. And also let's get the guy from Downton Abbey in there. <laughs> they also said uh, there was a version where he was closer to like a class of 99, kind of like cyborg where he had been like so wounded in battle that like when they rebuilt him, he like really had to like get built kind of, but then they were like, that's just not the tone that we really <laughs> want to hit for this. And I think to the movie's benefit, I, I think it's, I think it's better with him being just like the creepiest human that you've ever seen. Definitely. Um, I appreciate that there's not like cyborg enhancements there, but it's funny that that they mentioned Terminator as influence uh, as an influence. I, that makes total sense. I like, and I think I also think that I think James Cameron would even say that I, I think Terminator is a horror movie as well. I think that that's there's something just very scary about watching someone's eyes glaze over and they are just a, a total murderer and they. Yeah. They have a goal and they are going to accomplish that goal. And I think David really like lives up to that. Yeah. I Like, God, when I was a kid, I uh, watching like the original 1984 Terminator, like the kicking in the door and, and the Sarah Connor of it all. That's really, really scary. Like, yeah. you, you don't traditionally think of Terminator as a horror movie, but it, it is like, yeah, it's that it, it, it crosses that uh, sci-fi horror boundary. Yeah, I think it's similar in a lot of ways to like a zombie movie where a lot of the fear is like the relentless nature of it. The fact that at some point you're going to get tired and they'll just keep coming after you. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a huge thing. Lance Reddick, he's, we love him. He's in John Wick as well. That's what's so funny as well is like John Wick is like you take this. <laughs> take the horror out of this and it's john wick now, yeah. now, now you're rooting for david <laughs> rooting for david that's john wick if you're if you're scared of david that's the guest yep but yeah lance reddick as, as this like government agent who like he really sells it too like that's that's when you know how scary david is it's like when you see lance reddick is this like grizzled dude who you know is like seen a lot of action and when you just see it on his face that he's that scared like you know like oh we're in we're in the shit right now (laughs) yeah man he he's he's really good in this it's kind of he's kind of the donald pleasance i guess of this Mm -hmm. sure loomis yeah he's sort of the the dr loomis and he really only and he really accomplishes it and i would say probably like two or three scenes but yeah just like does so much to sell the immediate horror of like oh we've we've fucked up (laughs) 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 yeah so Once they had finally figured out the tone that they wanted, they said, we're going to do sort of an 80s homage. But they said they specifically didn't want to do a stylistic homage because those movies already exist. They're from the 80s. They wanted to take the ingredients and change it up, but still endeavor to have some of these time period genre hallmarks like the clueless parents and the kids who figure it all out. You know, the incredible score inspired by 80s goth and electronica uh, done by Steve Moore. Really fantastic uh, work by him as well. Oh, man, uh, the, the score, I can't say enough about the score. It's incredible. It really, like, kind of reminds me of uh, Carpenter. I mean, like, it, it's it's just very, very good. Like I said, that 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 weird thing that they do to kind of, like, transition scenes that kind of, uh, I still don't even know what to call it, but the, the weird kind of, like, sting that they do is, like, it's just incredible. Like, yeah, it... Uh, and uh, I think in the party scene, there's, the, you, you get it, you get some more of it. It's, um, yeah, I love, I love that 80 cent. I mean, it's, it's been done a little bit to death. I think in recent years, I think you've seen like, in like stranger things and stuff like that, people, they're really pushing it hard. So you've seen like, they've kind of really leaned on it hard. But mm-hmm. like, this was, you know, this is a few years ago. Gosh, I guess probably like 10 years ago at this point. But like, really, at this point, like, it, it was kind of a novelty to like, bring that synth back. Definitely. And that synthwave and robotic killer aspects aren't the only Carpenter-esque influence, though. You know, they use Albertus as the title font, which is the classic a film by John Carpenter font. And although it's not directly Carpenter, plenty of references to Halloween 3 as well. Uh, you know, when when David walks into the the Halloween dance, there's a huge image projected on the back of the three masks from Halloween three. And 
One thing I really like is that they specifically use the title to position the character as an antagonist, even before you're on board with that decision. You know, it's very othering and calls to minds movies like The Thing, The Fly. You know, it's it's the guest. He's the looming image in your mind the whole time, even when you're on his side at the beginning. Yeah, man. I you can see the 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 Carpenter influence is is really all over this thing, and I'm and I'm such a, like a huge Carpenter fan, so I really like appreciated all of that. I just vibed with this movie like just from beginning to end. Like I said, like it, it's one that I that I show people just because it kind of flew under the radar a little bit. I, I do think it, ha- it has kind of gained a cool following, but like it, it is one that you can still like, you can like impress a date by, by showing them the guest. It's, it's still, it's just kind of under the radar out there where, where like, yeah. Yeah, definitely. People, more people should be watching this movie. It's a crying shame to me that uh, unfortunately the movie did flop on, on release. Uh, you know, the it, it only opened up in uh, 19 theaters and then at its widest was only in 53. So it's not like it had the biggest push behind it, but yeah. it had a five million dollar budget and it made 2.7 back worldwide. So uh, not ideal. But like you say, the reception to it uh, was positive. The people who saw it liked it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that cult following has built up over the years. I think more and more people are starting to talk about it, especially now with sort of a little bit of a remove. And we can see how this has survived the test of time a little bit better than some of its peers. Yeah. When I went to that, um, that Alamo draft house screening, which was just, um, it was right before the pandemic. So probably 2019, I guess, but yeah, it took someone to that who had never seen it before. She loved it. And Wingard uh, was there. He did a little Q and a app. Oh, wow. it, was, it was like, it was huge. It, it was very, very cool. And yeah, it's always, it's always a joy to show this to people. I, I, I just, I'm such a big fan of, of everything these guys do. I even like their, you know, this is neither here nor there, but I, I like their, I like their Blair Witch personally. I think I, you know, that one I think was, was a little underrated in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I'm just a, such a big fan of these guys. I think that they are just so good at they're at being fans of the genre uh, in ways that pays great homage to to it and in lots of very valuable ways and then also like subverts it in some very fun ways as well. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. And as far as Blair Witch, uh, I think that was really kind of a no win situation for them where yeah. the groups of people that they had to please were so different that, uh, you know, I, I don't know how anyone could have done it, really. And uh, I think that it, it has a lot to offer as well. So uh, I agree. Go check that out, too. They finally showed the witch, you know? (laughs) You didn't think you were ever going to see the witch. You see the witch. There you go. It only took three movies. For Blair Witch, yeah. (laughs) As far as this movie, the one last thing as far as production run goes, uh, the movie was originally significantly longer, about 20 minutes, and they trimmed a bunch of the exposition about David's past. Now, like you say, this movie is so tight. It functions so well. It keeps moving the entire time. And I think that this was a really good idea to cut a lot of this exposition because even if you're curious about David's past, the movie is not really about that. Uh, I think that having that mystery to him helps to keep him interesting, helps to sort of let you project your own uh, thoughts onto it. Maybe, you know, I've seen people think that maybe he is uh, Caleb, the son. Uh, I, you know, I think that Simon uh, and and Adam have since said we like that theory. It wasn't our intention, but certainly you're allowed to read whatever you want into it. And that he like got the plastic surgery and came back to try and help them. But uh, you know, I just think it's it was a really good decision to leave David's past pretty nebulous and just have people be like, uh, I don't have time to explain stab. <laughs> Yeah, I actually, I mean, I didn't know that. You just gave me some information. So I didn't realize that there was that much sitting on the cutting room floor. There's like 15 minutes in the deleted scenes on the Blu-ray. That That's wild to me. Yeah, like I said, I mean, one of one of my favorite things about this movie is that, there's, like I said, there's just no fat on it. And I can't imagine there being more. But I would, as like a fan, I would just like to, I, I will check it out because I would just like to see it. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think that I think that's a great decision because I think that that everything in this movie is it, it's just like a, it's like an engine that's just chugging along and mm-hmm. it, it, just like you, him just gets you right to the end. It, it gets you right to that to that haunted house and right to him like, oh, man. Yeah, everything. I mean, like him giving the thumbs up to the sun. <laughs> Terminator again. 
I, I don't know how much uh, we want to get into spoilers, but yeah, man, it, it, he's just, it, it's an incredible performance, man, too. It, like, God, if you would have told me that, that this dude's biggest credit before this was Downton Abbey, like, <laughs> he just seems like such a, he just immediately sells himself as this badass. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Yeah, he does a great job. Uh, and we'll be spoiling the whole thing as we'll work our way through it. So it'll uh, people uh, who don't want to be spoiled should go and watch the movie. They should watch. They should have seen it already. <laughs> yeah. So to get into the actual movie starts off, we just see a military guy running very mysterious. Boom. The guest big carpenter font. And it opens up into, as you say, Halloween time, great looking scarecrow, <laughs> right? To open things up. I love that. And we see this sort of normal looking family going about their business in the morning. Mom is sad over a military remembrance for her son on the mantelpiece. And ding dong, who could that be? It's Dan Stevens, charming as hell. Mrs. Peterson, it's me, David. I'm here to honor your son, Caleb. (laughs) And she invites him in. And this is such an interesting thing to me because Simon himself said that this is one of the biggest hurdles making it believable that this is someone who they would invite in while also still making it believable that he would be tough and be able to do all the things that he winds up doing. And I think that, you know, we've all, it's very early on and we've already sort of been gushing about how Dan Stevens is perfect in this, but he really, it's so, so much of this movie, don't get me wrong. The supporting actors are absolutely fantastic as well. But so much of this movie rests on his shoulders and his making sure that every action he does is believable. And it really starts right here in this introduction to him. Yeah, he's it's like you said, like it's it's a tough sell, but he sells it because he's I mean, let's not dance around it. He's hot as hell <laughs> and, uh, and he's charming. And uh, yeah, he just really, really. Oh, he's well, also, he like logically, like from like a story standpoint, he's able to point himself out in the in the picture. Yes, um, where the where Caleb uh, has been training, and so so logically, from like the family standpoint, like his story is kind of bulletproof. Like mm-hmm. he is there, so you can't deny that. Like he did know their son. Yeah, and yeah, he just really like he just really sells the hell out of it, and he doesn't. Uh, it, it's like you said, like they really like plant the seeds so well. It's like, you know, you get one shot of him sitting in his room, staring at the wall. He houses the water that she offers him. Yeah. <laughs> like that's, that's a, that's a little strange, I guess. Uh, <laughs> but like they really cut, they do this slow roll with him where you like, you don't, you don't really get, you don't get the full psycho for like several scenes. And so you're like, I like this guy. I like David. Yeah. Really great. He launches into this tale, like you say, his story. He, he explains to them that he got discharged from the military after taking some shrapnel in the back. And he came here because uh, he promised Caleb that he'd check in on his family and he'd tell each of them that he loved them. Really amazing performance by Sheila Kelly as Laura Peterson here. You know, she's trying so hard to choke back tears. She has to excuse herself. Just a really powerful performance by her in, in this whole movie, but in particular this scene. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God, she's so great. And uh, Megan, uh, gosh, how do you say it? Maika Mon- Monroe. She was first of all really having a moment around this this couple of years. Yeah, this and it follows. Incredible. This it follows. She's in the fucking Independence Day sequel that wasn't <laughs> good, but still was like a still. Good movie. But like, yeah, all these things happen like within a couple of years and like she's the so so you got the mom and she's the one who's just on David's side, like implicitly. And you get why you completely understand why it's because David's so charming and he, and he fully like has the family under his spell. The dad, you can kind of tell is an alcoholic. I mean, it, it literally every scene of that, I, I oh. the actor who plays the dad, he's uh, such a great character actor, though. He's he's in so many. Leland Orser. Yeah, Leland Orser. Uh, he's uh, incredible. And Literally, if you watch, if you go back and watch it, every single scene he asks David if he wants a drink. It's so <laughs> funny! It's so funny. <laughs> and there's little seeds planted there too of like oh, he's got a rival at work who David David takes notice of that. There's this rival at work that he uh, maybe wants to overthrow or something like that. Yeah. And Mike and Moreau, she she's the only one in the family who's skeptical of it. The the son is uh, he's getting bullied at school, and so he cottons to to david immediately uh because david picks him up from school and david's like who's who, who's the who's the one who's beating up let's go you know oh god I mean, oh man we'll get to that scene it's we'll incredible when uh, this but, whole the whole thing is great but yeah 
but as an as an audience member, you kind of you uh, identify with Micah, and you um, like she's skeptical, and we're skeptical, and and so you're kind of following along with her journey of like you're skeptical of him, but all but also she's, <laughs> she's kind of turned on by him, too, which is all yeah. <laughs> he comes out of the shower, and it's sure, all, who could blame her? Yeah. Look, the man is—he has a twelve-pack. I mean, shit. He's got—he's got more abs than anyone has ever had before on film. <laughs> Laura asks him to stay so that Anna can meet him. She also asks him to stay for the evening. And like you say, Luke is off at school getting bullied. Uh, I love the second guy who does like a uh, but doesn't actually do anything. Classic bully hype man. Yeah. <laughs> and. That night, Laura and her husband, Spencer, start arguing in the hallway about David's being invited to stay. You know, Spencer feels like he doesn't he isn't respected by anybody, you know, at work, in his family. And so he is uh, sort of pushing back against this, feeling like he got steamrolled while David and Luke have kind of awkward conversation in the dining room. And Luke says this is not the first time that they've been arguing. Yeah, you got you sort of uh, view their family dysfunction through the prism of David being this new uh, angle on all of it. And you get the sense that um, some of these problems seem to have been going on for a while. Like, <laughs> yeah. You get the sense that the dad maybe has been drinking for a little bit and uh, the money that, troubles. Yes. And that they've all been grieving, obviously uh, the loss of Caleb. And, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, meanwhile, Anna and her secret boyfriend, Zeke, played by former guest of this very podcast, Chase Williamson. That that dude rules. Yeah. Super cool. Yeah. Fellow Chase. Big fan. <laughs> Hi, Chase. Great job in this movie. Yeah. And they're smoking weed on some swings while she says that she's a little unhappy with the visit because her parents are trying to move on and they don't need the reminder which is, I think, uh, a really interesting sort of twist on why she's uncomfortable and like even if she does believe that he's there for a good reason, like this would be such an emotional hurdle for her family to have to come up against in this grieving process, a living, breathing reminder, they say. Yeah. You watch her kind of juggle with it. It's, it's, you know, like I said, she's kind of having a strange journey because she doesn't like being reminded of her brother's death, but also is kind of corny for this. Yeah. It's weird. There's a, it reminded me, I, I think it's intentional, but it reminded me a little bit of the Sean Archer scenes in Face Off when, when John Travolta is playing Nicolas Cage, playing John Travolta, staying at his own house with mm-hmm. his family. And there, he, uh, his daughter in that movie, Dominique Swain, is, there's like a weird scene where she's like kind of like turned on by her dad. <laughs> not, there's not a good way to say it, but like, but the, it, it's a very similar kind of vibe to where it's like, oh, here's this like guy who seems kind of dangerous out of nowhere uh, all of a sudden. And like, he's not really what I expected. And yeah, that's sort of the same vibe that you get here in the scene when he comes out of the shower and shit like that. Yeah. Right before he goes to this party with her. Which right. Well, we also we see Spencer. This is where he starts really getting drunk and opens up to David about his troubles, insists that he stays a few more days. I love that. You know, they're already like drunk. He's like, wow, you can really put them back. And he's like, we'll have a few more beers to celebrate. And then I'm off to bed, really driving home that uh, alcoholism. <laughs> he's in rough shape, dude. This guy is numbing himself with booze in an ugly way. Never stops. Yeah. This is when David picks up Luke from school the next day. It takes a funny amount of time for Luke to realize it's not his mom when he gets in the car. <laughs> and he points out the bullies to David, who says he's not going to do anything bad, but follows them to a bar that serves the football players. Luke eventually heads inside after David, and the bullies are shocked to see him. The score here, like we said, incredible. David orders himself a fireball, which is cinnamon schnapps and Tabasco. Sounds terrible. <laughs> Ridiculous drink order. Yeah, <laughs> like I think I honestly think that's the moment where I was like, David is a psychopath. <laughs> <laughs> that's so like that the bartender, like he's like, of course I know how to make that, and it's like, how many people are ordering this drink? <laughs> but David also orders some blowjob shots for the bully's girlfriends, and after some prodding from the bartenders, uh, from the bartender, orders some Cosmos for the bullies themselves. Uh, we also see in this moment that he has a huge wad of hundred dollar bills, saying cash is easy to get. That's uh, eerie. (laughs) (laughs) 
yeah, this whole scene, it, I mean, it, it's, it's one of the, you know, it's really like, it's really when the story uh, clicks into gear and, um, you know, it's kind of, it, it's still early enough in the movie that we, you're still kind of rooting for David in a weird way. He's mm-hmm. sticking up for the, the son um, who's being bullied and, and like, so it's still very easy to kind of like get on board with him. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's all kind of funny. I mean, like it's a, like getting blowjob shots with friends. <laughs> like it's all he, it, everything is kind of expertly uh, expertly executed. Yeah, and, um, perfectly calibrated to piss them off. It's everything before he kills the first guy is still kind of harmless enough where it's like, oh, I still, uh, yeah, yeah. It, I, I think he, I think he might break a few bones in the scene or something like that. But right. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's all justified and you can kind of, you can really see where the sun, which is a, a thing, a storyline that continues through the movie. It, the sun really kind of empathizes with David and, and, and David has helped him. And so he is still very loyal to David. Oh yeah. He's so impressed. Like we, David asked him like, why don't you have any friends? And the kid goes like, I have lots of friends online. They're not here. So he's clearly very lonely. Um, David is cool guy with a drink that tastes like shit and a pile full of money. (laughs) (laughs) Like David uh, offers him even a sip of the drink. And we see that Luke wants to seem cool. He throws himself at the drink, obviously hates it. And David says, you get used to it. And, you know, this is one of the things where it's like kind of a, a look into his past without having to get too much exploration. Like, you know, we talk about there, they talk later about the conditioning that he went through and everything. And this sort of like just getting used to terrible things being a part of who he is, I think says a lot about him without having to really spell it out for you. Yeah. I think, I think it's a really speaks to one of the things that I like a lot about this movie is it, it's exposition in a way that doesn't feel painful. I, I think all the exposition in this movie in terms of like David's past and, and things like that, like are all handled like incredibly well. I think mm-hmm. it's like, they're they're divvied out very um uh in small doses and sure. it's, never, it's never in a way that feels like it's too much mm-hmm. yeah the bully throws the cosmo in david's face and david looks psyched to finally be getting into it yes. <laughs> <laughs> he's been like successfully baited into a fight and he cannot wait to break some bones <laughs> He throws his drink in the bully's face and it does a lot more than be wet on account of all the hot sauce and cinnamon and commence fight. It rules. You know, uh, he ruins those guys football careers. I'll tell you that for free. (laughs) All kinds of fun sound editing, too. You know, like you said, the snapping bones. There's fun, like whip snaps as he's like throwing punches and stuff. It's it's fun. It's over the top. I love it. It's you can tell like watching the movie, knowing the story, like you can tell that it's like all right, this is the last moment that we can kind of be on board with David. I know, <laughs> I know he's going to go too far after this, but this right now, this is good. Like mm-hmm. this is, if it, if it were to stop right now, he's just a fun guy who helped out his friend who was getting bullied. Yeah. yeah. They pay the bartender off and they make good their escape. Although uh, Luke took quite the punch in the face. Uh, his mom is freaked. And Anna is unimpressed by David's offer to teach Luke self-defense. And the mom guilts Anna into inviting David to the party she's going to with her. Uh, He showers to get ready. Like you said, they have a little encounter in the hallway where she, not without reason, is very flustered by David's hot bod. (laughs) (laughs) And when they get to the party, he, one, agrees to keep Anna's secret boyfriend a secret. And two, impresses the hostess, Kristen, uh, by being hot and strong and bringing in the kegs from the van by himself while Zeke is inside yeah, smoking. He carries, he carries the hell out of those kegs. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is that whole scene. This is the whole scene is, uh, is a little, it's a little uncomfortable because he, he kind of has a, a little bit of like sexual tension with the, with the daughter, which continues throughout the scene. It continues all the way to uh, their, their drive home that night because he, he sleeps with a friend. Uh, the host of the party, like you said. Right. And uh, because he's so good at carrying kegs. <laughs> well, he also basically destroys the life of her ex who <laughs> arrives to cause trouble. Ruins that guy. <laughs> yeah. And then, but, but then uh, she kind of uh, agrees to make like a mixtape for him on the way home or something like that, which is a, and it feels very in, like an intimate gesture. Yeah. I was, I was thinking about that. I was like, man, kids these days, you know, you could put, dozens of songs on a, on a playlist 
a, a CD like that, you had limited space. You had to kill your darlings. Yeah. The seeds are kind of sown for the darker David that we're starting to get. He makes plans at that party to buy guns, uh, I yeah. believe, the next day. Yeah. From, um, from Craig. Craig yeah. the Stoner played with aplomb by Joel David Moore. Always fun to see that guy show up. Moore, excellent in this. Uh, yeah, really, really good. And just uh, two scenes, basically. Um, Ethan Embry shows up as well. Yeah, also uh, good. Very good. Looking a, a little older than you've seen him last, probably. But uh, <laughs> yeah, both of them really, really great. I, this is like what we're talking about right now is the turn for David. Like it is the character turn. Yeah, when he shows when he shows up to this gun buy. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, two other things that I like about this scene: uh, one, somebody is wearing the guy whose seat that David takes is wearing a mask from your next on top of his head, which is fun. <laughs> and um, things get intense with Craig. I really like the interactions that he has with him. He's like, "Oh, we support you guys." <laughs> He's like, "Oh yeah," he, he gets like, like he gives him shit for like not enlisting. Yeah. Like, uh, he's like, "Oh." <laughs> Uh, you support us. Oh, not enough to uh, enlist. Right. <laughs> then, like, and does that thing, that kind of classic movie thing where you wait a beat and he's like, I'm just fucking yeah. with it. <laughs> By the way, can I buy a gun? <laughs> and he drives home and Anna also opens up to her, uh, opens up to him about her troubles, like you say, with Zeke and his arrested development. And there's that sexual tension. He's finally winning her over, plying her with flattery, asking for this mix CD. Um, but that night again, we check in with David. He's sitting there like a robot again. Yeah, man. The, the, I think that's such a good device too. I think that the, uh, the simplicity of some of a character just staring at a wall is like, so like simple and scary. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, yeah, it's, it's really, really like lays the seeds there of, uh, uh, this guy is, uh, something's not right with him. Yeah. The next morning, Anna hears him talking on the phone and he's saying stuff like dental records. I don't need an orthodontist, just a new face. I'm off the grid. <laughs> <laughs> and she's freaked out. She calls the army to ask about him. And the army lady who searches for David Anderson Collins pulls up a completely redacted file with a photo of somebody who is definitely not Dan Stevens and uh, a prompt that says records classified contact KPG corporation immediately. Yeah. And this kind of, I think is where um, you get Lance Reddick kind of entering the story. And that, yeah. and like I said, he really like lets you know the stakes immediately. Cause as soon it really, it registers on his face. Like when he hears that <laughs> David is, is out among the world. Like he is like, we need to, we need to tackle this immediately. He's in the middle of what seems like a very important business meeting. <laughs> <laughs> he just drops it all. Yeah. And like I said, he really is. He really is kind of the Dr. Loomis of this. Like as mm -hmm. soon as he is clued into everything, like he drops everything that he's doing, like you said, and he just like, he gets in a car and goes, he gets a bunch of mercenaries basically who are just going to be uh, meat for the, the grinder. <laughs> and, um, and is like, we need to get to this place immediately. David goes the next day to get his gun. A great scene, like we said. He kills uh, the dealer and our pal Craig, RIP. Although Craig runs on a perfectly straight line. And I'm like, come on, dude, make it a little difficult. Yeah, come on. Turns out there's a few grenades in the truck as well, which is a fun little setup. Yes. Uh, that will be paid off later, of course. <laughs> yeah, it's really fun to like watch. Like I said, this is where David uh, officially kind of breaks bad. And um, everything after this is just watching the depths to how much of a psychopath he is. And like, <laughs> and it gets, and he never stops being David the whole time. Like it, it's still, he's still charming the entire time that he's killing people. And yeah, it's uh, uh, the, he shoot, I, the, whatever gun he uses, I think it, I think it, <laughs> is it uh, Joel David Moore? Is that his name? Yeah. Um, uh, it, I think it blows his head off. <laughs> like, I think he watches his head pop off of his body. It's actually pretty wild. It's definitely intense. Um, it's yeah. a, a very fun scene. The army calls Anna back and says David is dead. But before she can tell mom, dad's home, immediately pouring a drink for himself and says that the boss, <laughs> right, of course, <laughs> says that the boss that he was complaining about to David is dead. Imagine that. 
looks like a double suicide with his girlfriend, no forced entry, and huh, that makes him the regional manager now. Uh, good for you, Spencer. Yeah, I actually love that there's these kind of like um, just spoken uh, David kills that you don't even really get to see. Like, it really kind of adds to the entire like um, mystique of him and just how good of like a psychopathic killer he is. And right. the fact that, that this is which is something that was introduced to you in, in dialogue and now David is like taking care of it completely off screen. It's, <laughs> it's, very, it's very cool and scary, actually. It really adds to, like I said, like the, the kind of horror of it all. Yeah. And it's in this moment as well that Zeke calls Anna to tell her about Craig's death. And she goes to tell him about David, but he gets pulled over and has to go. Yeah. It, it, and that kind of too, the, the fact that those happen back to back, like it really speaks to the overarching nature of like David's smothering kind of influence on this family's lives yeah. the fact that he just has kind of like swooped in and just kind of taken over. And he's really playing by his own rules and like his own moral code. And it's like, Oh, the dad is, uh, uh, struggling against this guy to, for this job well i will kill the guy and his girlfriend right uh, mike Monroe is uh, has this boyfriend who's a drug dealer well he's gone he's he you know what he's going to jail like he really has just kind of like taken it upon himself to solve what he feels are this family's woes you know obviously before he has to eventually turn on the family itself right uh, Anna stops in at work to commiserate with Kristen about Craig, and she also tells her about David. So now Kristen knows as well, and she suggests checking out the numbers that he's called and having her brother check them out on the computer. Her brother, who is currently watching David fricassee a jack-o'-lantern with his butterfly. <laughs> <laughs> that, you know, continues going to David's bond with brother. You know, obviously, it, it, this is something that you continue to see throughout the movie is that, like, the brother is... It, kind of morally compromised where like there, there's one point where he says to David, like uh, he, that he knows that he killed these people and he doesn't care. Right. We're friends. And we're friends. Yeah. And, and it's, it's, a, it's pretty dark. It's a pretty dark moment for the brother, but yeah, it just shows you how charismatic David is that he like really worms his way in. Definitely. I mean, even the advice that he gives him in this scene about like, take a knife to school with you. And if they beat you up and take it off, you burn down their houses What's the worst that could happen? And you're like, this is one of the real horror elements for me that somebody who is so psychotic could so easily become a role model for someone who is downtrodden like this, you know, the oppressed seeking to become the oppressors instead. Yeah, it's very, uh, kids, kids got some, uh, some big Columbine vibes. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. Uh, and, and it does feel like David might be leading him down that path. Right. Anna comes home and she snags David's phone, taking a photo of the recent calls, but then putting the ringing phone in Caleb's room to make it look like he forgot it. Of course, he doesn't buy that. And uh, he listens outside her door for a second before uh, moving on. But now we see that he knows that she knows. Yeah, that's that's a really wonderful part of this movie, too, is kind of the cat and mouse with her and and David, like with with him knowing that she knows and. And the, something really that Lance Reddick's character provides is he, he gives you so much good exposition about, about David's character and really actually kind of like, in a way, kind of like, not, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say redeems him, but says that like, it's almost not David's fault. It's almost like his programming that yeah. like, once he finds out that, he, that his identity has been compromised, he will just do whatever it takes to solve that. And will kill whoever stands in his way. Right. No loose ends. And that, and that becomes the family that becomes like, and, and so you kind of get the sense that like, I mean, not that Mike and Monroe like should have done anything differently, but that like her calling Lance Reddick sort of is a catalyst for David just killing whoever he can to get out of the situation. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Zeke calls her from jail now because they found the gun that killed Craig in Zeke's van. And regardless of his innocence in this matter, the police searched his room and drugs and stuff. And so, like you say, Zeke is just another casualty of Hurricane David. You know, he was fighting with his girlfriend about he was about to go on tour with his band. 
So, uh, you know, maybe he was turning his life around. And uh, unfortunately, we'll just uh, we'll never know because Zeke just goes to jail. Yeah, we never, we, we don't really get uh, satisfaction on Zeke. We don't really uh, find out what happens. I have to assume um, once David's spree, his killing spree, I guess you would call it, goes public, I would have to assume that that would be good for Zeke in terms of getting out of jail. But we don't really learn what happens with him. Yeah, uh, maybe that's explored in the your next and uh, the guest crossover. <laughs> Oh man, I really want it to happen. I like whatever. I, I maybe maybe this is the guys push. Got the cloud now. I, 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 I don't know. I, I just really wanted to make it. Anna tells the family about Craig and Zeke and reveals that she was still seeing him to her father, who is pissed. And she lashes back out and says, "Oh, what about David? Everybody's best friend. He's freaking dead." <laughs> and he he plays it off, and he does have the dog tags, so the family believes him, and Anna stalks off. He goes after her, though, and she's very nervous when he comes in the room and he apologizes to her about Craig and Zeke, but says, hey, I'm moving on soon. So you only have to deal with me a couple more days. And he leans into the shadow to get intimidating, just really fun stuff where like he's being very charming. He's being very polite, but just the actual body language and the lighting of of the scene is just so perfect to actually chill you when he's doing this. Oh yeah, this is this is where the the honeymoon is really over between the two of them. Where like he had his brief moment where she was like very intrigued by him and like kind of turned on by his hotness and everything and like that is all out the window now. She He does still take the CD. She knows <laughs> she knows that he's killed her friend. She knows that he's uh put her boyfriend in jail like it is, you know, it's all on the table. She's kind. Of, she continues to kind of be the audience surrogate in the in the sense that, like, she's the only one who knows what's going on. She knows it uh, before anybody, and yeah, everybody else is kind of playing catch up. Yeah, one of the numbers is a doctor who lost his license, and Anna asks Luke to get any info he can because she thinks that David killed Craig. Correctly. <laughs> Luke is on his computer in class when my favorite bully of all, the double popped collar kid who was just about to impress some ladies with a magic trick. <laughs> he decides it's bully time. I love the balls on this guy. I love it. He's gotten his he's fully gotten his ass kicked by David already. And he still has the fucking balls to, <laughs> to try and fuck with this kid again. Like, dude, yeah. come on, buddy. You know, it's going to happen. <laughs> Yeah, well, it certainly doesn't go well for him when Luke takes David's advice and matches the escalation with the bully by breaking a yardstick on his jaw. Yeah. Oh, man. David is very impressed by this and transmutes the fairly certain expulsion into after school detention for a month, helping the prom committee set up for the Halloween dance by saying that the bully was committing a hate crime by attacking him while using the F slur. Yeah, don't they say that he's, they get him out of it by saying that he's gay? Yeah, right. And the principal's like, I didn't even know he was gay. So, well, it worked. And uh, I do also want to point out the poster on the wall for the dance when they're leaving the principal's office is like a jack-o'-lantern head guy holding a severed head to carve, where I was like, that feels very intense for a school to have up. <laughs> Luke steps outside to snitch on his sister to David as thanks for, for this help and for all of the things that he's done. And he says that he doesn't care if David killed Craig, but he just wanted him to know. He also accuses David of killing dad's boss, but he won't say anything, like you said, because they're friends, right? And uh, he also says that she maybe told Kristen. So now Luke has just signed her death warrant as well. Yeah, Luke, uh, I mean, like, yes, he, you know, sort of like uh, comes around in the end and helps kill David or, or bring David to justice, you know, We'll we'll get to that, but yeah, man, he he sort of he sort of gets some people killed. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> and Laura thanks David for everything he's done, not just today, but for the whole time. And he goes to collect more laundries when the suits Yukons roll up and outpour a bunch of these military contractors looking for Anna. They ask about David, and we get a classic: "He's right behind me, isn't he?" moment. When uh, David reemerges from behind a sheet, drops the basket and pulls a gun, immediately dispatching one and diving into the house. Really fun sort of reveal of this, this battle that's about to happen here. 
Oh man, these like very highly paid uh, mercenary dudes. He makes uh makes very quick work of them uh, to 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 the extent where you're like, man, how much do we how much are we paying those guys? <laughs> <laughs> Probably, uh, presumably they weren't able to collect, uh, but. They, they even like open up with a machine gun. Like they're shooting thousands of rounds at this admittedly semi-rural home, but it really feels like they're having a lot of fun taking this a little over the top, like uh, just blowing a, blowing this house to pieces. Yeah. It's a super fun scene. Um, it really breaks into like the action horror of the action of it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, man, um, you really get to see the, you get to see David at his most uh, John wick, I think in, in this sequence. Yeah. And he apologizes to Laura, but kills her as an unneeded complication as she tries to call for the men outside He does reveal first that he did know her son and that he was in the same program as him, which if he was in the same program, but maybe not the same unit, I'm like, did he put that photo in the frame while she went and cried, (laughs) which is fucked up? (laughs) Yeah, it's all a little unclear. This um, sort of speaks to the Lance Reddick uh, uh, dialogue about once David is kind of going along his programming, he kind of can't turn back Mm -hmm. because you kind of get the sense that he doesn't want to kill her, but he does it anyway. And like, you know, so he does this and then a couple scenes later, he kills the father as well. We can talk about that, but uh, yeah, it's, it, you, you really do get the sense that like, he did like these people, but he will do anything that he can to preserve his identity. Yeah, and he he does make it out in the car. Carver is the only surviving member of this mercenary force. And David sees Spencer on the road, buckles up, <laughs> crashes into him on purpose. <laughs> I do think that it's kind of interesting that he tries to take him out as like swiftly as possible, I guess. It doesn't work, and he's sitting there like bleeding out, and he has to shoot him. But he, like I guess, tries to make it quick for him. You do get the sense that he like uh, I really like with the whole family, like you you get the sense that like he doesn't want to be doing this, but he's just going to do it. Compelled. Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, let's be honest. Spencer was probably drunk behind the wheel. True. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, now he's a regional manager. He has to shape yeah. up. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. It's, you know, he, he, pop, pop. Actually, just yeah. pop. He only it takes one one shot to the chest, and that's all it takes. <laughs> but uh, Carver commandeers a civilian car, and he gets Anna. And it's so funny to me that she just believes this guy after he flashes a badge super quick because he's like, I'm military police. And it's like, learn from your experience with David. <laughs> <laughs> David shows up, gets no real answers from Katrina and says, fuck this, shoots her, rolls the two grenades in to kill everyone else in the diner who was a witness. It's very funny how, like, up I mean, to this gotta, point, I mean, we're gonna talk about how no one has ever looked handsomer <laughs> rolling two grenades into <laughs> man. It's very he impressive. Really, like, he just he walks back in and he just like lets him go. And man, he really just fucking killed everybody in that diner, huh? <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very uh, casually. Anybody could have survived that. <laughs> and yeah. Yeah, it's great. Feels- it's great. It's not quite military precision like some of the other ones, but uh, he's uh, certainly taking taking him out like he needs to. But now we're like we're we're really well on our way towards he he fully has become like a horror movie villain at this point, mm-hmm. and which is which culminates in him going back to the school and trying to find the two kids in this uh, uh, maze in the, in this uh, haunted house maze. Yeah, and this this maze looks incredible. I love the the whole entire look of it. What a fun idea for this school. Feels like they must spend the majority of their budget on this one school dance. <laughs> but Luke is helping to set up. So he's at the school because of the detention. Uh, Carver and Anna are going there because he, they're like, oh, he's going to go for Luke. And suddenly the lights go out and the For David mix starts playing. Yes, which is it, it really like it kind of brings everything full circle. This is the uh, mix that she made for him uh, earlier in the film when she during the brief moment where she was still kind of enraptured by him before she realized what a psycho he was. Um, and so he puts that on. It's this crazy, cool, like scent mix, uh, which is uh, just really a joy to watch play over the scene. 
they're walking through this haunted house and there's a uh, like dry ice and shit like that. So like there's a kind of a mist around their, their legs and things like that. And yeah. And, and it just becomes a cat, a cat and mouse game literally in this uh, haunted house. And it, it, it kind of really becomes full. It really goes full horror movie right, right here in the end, because it's, it's Halloween. They are running from a killer and everything's on the table. He's he has killed their parents. Uh, the the son doesn't even know that yet. But yeah, it, it's it things get uh, very like scary in a fun way. Yeah, I mean, even uh, amazing showdown uh, in the Hall of Mirrors, where like the teacher gets his throat cut with the box cutter and like just like falls out in front of the kids. Like a really great horror moments and. It's a very cool place for a showdown, the Hall of Mirrors. Yeah, it, uh, remind me of, um, uh, I want to say, Enter the Dragon. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, there's a, I want to say there's a Hall of Mirrors scene at the end of that movie. And yeah, it's very, it's nothing creepier than a Hall of Mirrors, man. It's, you know, for obvious reasons. I mean, like, yeah, it's, it's like very, feels like a very easy place to hide. I, uh, there's a Hall of Mirrors in Us as well. Um, another great horror movie. Yeah. Yeah, it's just like good place to hide, good place to to jump out at somebody. Yeah, he gets Carver. He he jumps out and stabs Carver as well, and Carver drops the gun and dies. So it's that's a kind of a fun subversion too. I he, very quickly too, like he dies <laughs> he dies so quick, and it's like oh man, yeah. I mean, he did last longer than all the other dudes, but still, still dies like pretty uh, not with a bang, but with a whimper. Yeah. Pretty gloriously. Right. Ingloriously, even. Ingloriously. There we go. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it's really great. Fun subversion for him to sort of, sort of just get taken out like that uh, very, uh, very casually. But Luke says, David wouldn't hurt us. And Anna asks him to trust her. Uh, so funny. Last little like joke moment for them here where the jump scare animatronic scares her again on the way out too. Yeah. Oh man, I I love all the I love all the haunted house stuff. It's so good. Yeah, God, I wish my high school had done a. <laughs> it's so cool, but yes, very very all all very very good fun stuff. Super Halloweeny, super uh, super horror movie. Yeah, she tells Luke that David killed mom and dad, and although she doesn't know that for sure, really, because uh, the Carver just said that the parents were really hurt, but uh, she asks him to hide in a box and she promises that she'll come back for him. Yeah. Meanwhile, David is apologizing and saying, Hey Luke, come on out. I won't hurt you. Uh, although uh, he certainly will. And uh, he gets distracted by a big noise right at the last second when it looks like he's about to find Luke. And he sees that the gun he left with Carver is missing and he smirks. And I love that little moment for him <laughs> where he realizes that maybe these kids might just get the drop on him. Yeah. And that's exactly what she does. I, I love that too. I think it's it's kind of like um, you never really hate David in this the whole time. And and like that charm kind of extends all the way to right here where like he's impressed by the fact that they've got the jump on him. And like, it's kind of, it's like, it's all kind of cute. Like it goes all the way to him giving that thumbs up to Luke. Like, it's like, he's, he's impressed that they were able to, to do this. And uh, yeah, I, I don't know. David rules. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I really like it. The, this whole scene uh, now that he's left, he goes to the dance floor. This also looks amazing. Fog filled sounds amazing. The music is popping off and she, she shoots David Anna shoots David when uh, he admits to killing the parents and he knifes her in the thigh. She fires and hits a lantern causing a fire and he starts to choke her out, but he finally stops when Luke steps in and stabs David with the knife that David himself gave him, which is a real sort of passing of the torch. But also, hopefully Luke has been disillusioned enough to understand that this guy maybe wasn't giving him the best advice. I I mean, hopefully the killing of your parents would would tell you. (laughs) I mean, everything beyond that, everything before that is... uh... You know, you can you can let out the window. Basically, <laughs> killing your mom and dad. I think <laughs> people who brought you into this world. Yeah, and uh, David says Luke did the right thing, and he absolves him as he croaks with a little thumbs up, like you say again, very Terminator. And the flames grow higher on the hay bales. Uh, in loving memory, R.I.P. says the tombstone above David. 
which is very funny as he like just lays there with the fake tombstone right above him. And the kids live to fight another day, but hey, there's only two corpses inside, both with smashed out teeth. And hey, who's that firefighter limping away? Amazing ending. I just love this. Super fun. It's one of my, it's one of my fa- honestly, one of my favorite endings to a movie ever. I love this idea that like David just like can't die. Like it's almost <laughs> like it's almost like he even like wanted to die in that scene, but they just can't do it. Like he can't bring himself to die. And so yeah, so Anna like uh, in that the last scene, she I think she actually says like, "What the fuck." <laughs> <laughs> which is such a good it's a again she's just the audience like she's just she's just you watching being like what the fuck honestly like you know fucking dead (laughs) it's amazing it's a perfect ending to a perfect movie not even that not even that it would like lead to a sequel i i would love it to but like even just the idea that david just can't he just can't be killed yeah oh it's great uh and now chase we've reached the part of the episode where we sum up why this isn't just a good horror movie but is in fact the best horror movie ever made. And I'm going to let you start. Uh, yeah, I think that it is just a, honestly, uh, aside from Halloween, I cannot think of a more perfect Halloween movie than this movie. You really feel the feeling of fall all the way through it. it, it like even before you get to the haunted house uh, ending, which is just perfect. David is just such a great antagonist because as we've been saying, just like such a charming, charismatic dude who like you you never you never hate but like i like compare this to other you know horror movie villains like jason or freddy i mean freddy has some personality but like really most of those guys are like avatars like that you just like they just don't have a lot of say michael myers he's one of the you know most classic horror movie villains of all time he doesn't have a he's literally called the shape in the script because he doesn't have a, he doesn't have a personality david has just oozes personality. He is just the most charismatic. Like you said, walks walks into this party carrying two kegs. <laughs> he's got one on his shoulder and one. He's a fucking. He's a fucking beefcake. We love this guy. Mm-hmm. Hubba hubba. This is just. It, it is just a perfect Halloween movie. It is a perfect horror action movie. Yeah. It uh, also, like I was saying, just just right in like the prime years of the Mike and Monroe just being an absolute star with this and it follows coming out like back to back. Yeah. It rules. It rules top to bottom. I love this movie. Um, yeah, it, it is, it is a favorite of mine. And like I said, it is one that I love to introduce other people to. Hell yeah. I totally agree to me. This is the best horror movie ever made because it is so unique. There is such a fascinating tone where it is so straight faced the whole time. But there is a lot of humor to it. There's a lot of heart to it. There's some really incredibly written characters. Everyone feels real, even in the moments that David is doing these these crazy uh, uh, action movie things. At the core of him, we're still believing in the character because it got to that point in a, in a way that feels natural. And, and that writing is just incredibly well done. I also think, you know, I see the Michael Myers and I see the Terminator stuff. But one thing that I don't see people talking about as much is to me, this also feels very uh, Frankensteinian with his sort of trying to help out. But this monster that got made through no uh, recourse of his own is accidentally causing all this mayhem that leads to his own demise. You know, it's it's he's trying to help this family, but his all he knows is how to like kill. (laughs) So these things that he's doing uh, ostensibly for their benefit wind up creating these ripple effects that take out not just the entire family, but himself as well, or at least his, his dreams of helping them. <laughs> I think that's so right. I think you nailed it, man. I, I like, like that, that really is another aspect of this that I think is so important is that like, he, he means well, like yeah. <laughs> it's, it sounds so weird to say because he kills so many people, but like he has a, a good heart kind of, <laughs> yeah, he really wanted to help this family. And he just like, it's like, uh, like Lance Reddick says, it's like once, once his programming gets in the way, like he just can't be stopped. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Um, and the performances are top to bottom. Incredible. Every single person who comes on screen totally understands what they're there to do. 
they absolutely knock it out of the park in every aspect, not just Dan Stevens, although he certainly uh, brings a certain elevation to it as well. It's just, it's just fantastic all around. Um, and uh, uh, it's the best horror movie ever made. What do you want from me? <laughs> great. Uh, Chase, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show, man. This was so much fun. Please. Uh, this is plug time. Any, anything that you want to send people towards your social media, all that jazz. Thank you so much for having me first of all. And also, uh, yeah, please watch uh, inside job. It's on Netflix right now. Season one. We, uh, I don't know if I can officially announce this yet, but we may have some more episodes that are coming out. Uh, you stay tuned for that if you like if you're a fan of the show and you know if you watch uh if you're if you watch late night uh the tonight show starring jimmy fallon i'm still doing some stuff for that so there you go yeah. uh and yeah i i think inside job is very cool there's some uh very cool horror things like uh there's a power loader that she gets in and a thing-esque body horror monstrosity at one point so uh, I, lots of cool stuff yeah i am putting a thing-esque in the screen that's my episode actually yeah. oh well, there you go it's the episodes from the first season yeah well it uh it all it all clicks then <laughs> and as far as my plugs you can find me on twitter at little horror phl uh that username extends pretty much everywhere this is uh yeah the, the new year so uh i don't know just sign up for the patreon and uh, make your voice heard about what you want to see from the bonus episodes uh, moving forward. We've covered all kinds of fun stuff over the course of this, you know, uh, things that maybe don't necessarily fit as squarely into the horror genre, like uh, Alana Johnston came on to talk about why uh, Freaky Friday 2003 is the best horror movie ever made. (laughs) So uh, lots of cool stuff. So check that out. uh, Just a couple bucks a month. And uh, yeah, that's it. All right. Thanks, everyone. Bye.